I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Joseph Finn. And we love to watch. We love to watch the best movies from last year. Joseph. Hey guys. Hey team. It's uh, 2019. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I'm so excited. It's the new year. Um, and uh, we may be recording this a little bit before the new year is actually here. August. Um, but, but to, you know, to all of us listening right now, things are going really well because the midterms were a success or we're probably bummed and in a, a pretty big dystopia at this point because everyone just went full steam ahead. Uh, but yeah, no, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where we love to watch, we're normally a podcast that picks a theme and then uh, talks about four or so movies around that theme. But once a year, on our first episode of the new year, we talk about, you know, it's when all the critics, they're making their lists, they're checking them twice, going to find out what movies are naughty and nice. Uh, and they say, what are the best movies of 2018? Because, ooh, I'm a critic. I get to go see movies for free. It's like my whole job. They pay me. Um, and we're, I'm just going to willy-nilly. I'll see a movie once and not think about it. Boom, it's on the list. If there's no integrity. Uh, and I'll tell you what. If things did turn around and get really bad, I hope they're uh, all the critics who make uh, best of your lists in December are rounded up. Put in a gulag. Just saying. <laughs> Maybe harsh. But I want to be honesty is important to your listeners, uh, but not us. No, we take a little time. We process. We make sure we see everything. We hear other opinions. And so we do our best of the year list a year after the year's over. We give it a lot of time to bake, to stew. We're not an easy bake oven. We're a extremely difficult to bake oven. We're- Thank you. Thank you for the commentary back on my... <laughs> On no, how, I, I honestly wanted to see how long you could go with that. I, I was out. The Easy Bake Oven, I mean, that's gold. You stop when you strike gold. You don't keep digging through the gold. <laughs> um, Aaron, I feel like the Easy Bake Oven makes, uh, you know, boring, bland food very easily. Yeah. In a regular I, oven. Oh, exactly. So my metaphor works on another level. Thanks, yeah. Pete. <laughs> I, th- I think you're on to something just this. Great. Uh, so, yeah. So, we are going to be talking about our uh, favorite movies of 2017. It's the third time we've done this. And it's the third time we've been joined by Joseph J. Finn. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show, Joseph. I'm very happy to be here. I believe uh, just because of various uh, whatevers, uh, I think the last time I was here was the best of 2016 episode. That's true. Well, here's what happened. So, we recorded your Firefox episode and your best of 2016 episode, like back to back, I think in that same week. And yes. as we've learned from Rick Kelly's uh, two times in a row appearances, and then like a year and a half of not being on the show, if you're a guest on this show too close to another time you were a guest on the show, I think Peter and I mentally mentally are like, 
to make it fair, we can't have them back on the show for eight to nine years. So, so <laughs> be wary. The Koskies. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, they still spaced it out a couple months. You and Rick were back to back. I don't know what happened, but I think this is your seventh uh, appearance on the show. We love having you on. Uh, we're very sorry we don't invite you more often. Uh, we can we can change that though, Joseph. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. I'm very happy to be back and uh, enjoying uh, the show. Honestly, there's there's nothing better than inviting a guest on for a guilt trip. Uh, <laughs> definitely a way to get more invites. Uh, Rick, if you're listening, that goes for you as well. Uh, anyway, but we, we have so much to cover. This is honestly uh, uh, something I look forward to every year. Uh, so I'm just extremely excited to get into it. And we do have a lot to cover. We're going to go over um, a few things. We're going to go over some two uh, specimenchies. These are movies that are on our list somewhere that maybe maybe wouldn't be 16 or 17 but they are movies that we love. They don't quite make our top 15 that we want to call out. Uh, then we're going to go our honorable mentions. So that's 15 through 11. And we're just going to kind of go through those uh, one right after the other. They're movies that didn't qu- quite make our top 10. But we're pretty close. And we want to talk about them a little bit. Then we're going to get it out of the way with our worst movie of the year. Uh, we don't want to end on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the worst movie we saw that was released uh, in 2017. And then we're going to go back and forth. You know how it goes. 10 to 1. A count up. Baby. I guess that's a countdown. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, everyone calls it a count in my head as I'm saying that. I'm like, everyone calls it a countdown. It's actually count up to the best. But then I forgot that how numbers work. Anyway. Sometimes you try and change it up and sometimes it just doesn't quite work. Sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't know how to count. Uh... (laughs) So, guys, why don't we just get started? We have so much to talk about. I think last year it ended up being three and a half hours. So, let's let's get into it as quickly as possible. One thing first. So, last year we rotated this way. We did Aaron. We did Joseph. We did Peter. By the end of the episode, Peter was a little annoyed because we have very similar movie tastes <laughs> that I had said all of his stuff right before he said it. So, this year, we're going to go Peter, Joseph, Aaron. That seems fair. Joseph's always in the middle. He's our little sandwich. He's the meat between Peter and me. And jo- and Peter, you can go first this year so I don't accidentally steal your thunder on like six entries in a row. So like any other time, you're stuck in the middle with me. Oh, yeah. There we oh, go, Joseph. Oh. You're starting to get it. We, <laughs> we thought maybe Joseph wasn't going to get in along with our, 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 our goofy business. He's a serious man. But, you know, Joseph, you got some cheesiness in you as well. Oh, I have much cheese. I, I, I am a queso interior. Uh, all right, but let's let's start. We'll start with Peter. What are your two special menchies? Uh, I will start with the controversial one first to get people get the blood going. Yeah, get know? the blood going. Yeah, uh, Alien Covenant. Um, oh. Alien Covenant is a movie that was is a good one. Incredibly divisive, and I loved it. Alien Covenant is a film that really came to me at the perfect time because it is both a a art house uh sort of movie with with lots of like long conversations between characters about what the nature of existence is but it's also a trashy horror movie with a whole like section that's just like a slasher bit that's like my comfort food like the idea that like there's some some meaningful stuff to chew on but also like some really awesome action sequences is kind of 
that's that's what I ultimately want out of a theatrical experience uh, a lot of times. And yeah, I'm not. It didn't make my top fifteen, but it is a movie that I feel like I'm going to remember and keep watching for a long time. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, uh, I, I never saw it. It's good. Even if you didn't like Prometheus, I'd give it a chance. I li- I didn't like as much Prometheus. I I think Prometheus is this like underrated masterpiece. I feel like it's a movie that everyone got caught up on the stupid internet nitpicky stuff a little bit too much. Yeah. Oh, that would be me. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um, I didn't know Tell that was the case. Space Traveler's effort. Sorry. I, uh, okay. We're leaving this aside. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and like myth, like how gorgeous and how much it sucked you into what was going on and stuff like that. And I, I didn't think Alien Covenant quite rose to that level, but it was just a, you know, it was kind of everything I wanted in like a quasi alien sequel. So it is really good. Good call out. Good speci. Good mentiony. <laughs> um. So do my other speci menchie. Yeah. Do your other speci menchie. Oh, okay. Uh, my other speci menchie uh, is a movie that got kind of buried by its own distributor, uh, which was I don't feel at home in this world anymore by Macon Blair. I thought you were going to say Tulip Fever for a second. I'm like, <laughs> whoa, left field. <laughs> I don't feel at home and I don't feel at home in this world anymore. It's directed by Macon Blair, who has acted in a lot of Jeremy Saulnier's movies. Um, he plays a creep in Murder Party and Green Room and, and Blue Ruin. I think all three of them. And in this, it's it actually feels sort of uh, tonally similar to those movies. Uh, it's about a woman gets her house burglarized and she needs to uh, kind of find out what the fuck it means, and she gets kind of down this uh, push down the spiral of crime um and it's it's a wonderful journey it's one of Mel, uh, melanie linsky who's like i think one of the least celebrated actresses like criminally least celebrated actresses um gives a fantastic performance she she rocks the movie as a comedy when it's super serious when she has to be a little badass when she has to be terrified she's along for the ride the entire time and i love the movie joseph all right, my first one. Your first um, what? My first special mention. Oh, thank you. <laughs> my first guys, one is listen back me. to last year. It took us a whole episode to get him to say it. <laughs> so this feels like a pretty big victory. Um, it's not worth fighting. <laughs> oh, I see. it's a hollow. Great. Th- thanks for making my victory hollow. <laughs> oh, that's what I live for. So my first one is a movie that. Might be on one of yours top ten lists. I'm not entirely sure on this, but I feel it deserves more attention because it got a limited release. It did pretty well, got critical acclaim, but I feel it deserves a little more attention. And that's a little movie called Ingrid Goes West. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it's not on my top ten or fifteen, but I do really like it. It, it. it was a surprising movie. I did not expect it to be as involving, as anxiety-inducing. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. Joseph, what did you, what'd you make of Ingrid Goes West? Ingrid Goes West is very smart about, I think, about fame culture. I think about social media use, about loneliness, about grief. I think it's a really, really well done, with a lot of very well-observed performances that uh, basically uh, Aubrey Plaza plays a, plays a woman whose mother has just died, and she's been obsessively following women, uh, people on Instagram, what they call, uh, oh, shoot, what do they call them? They're uh, influencers. People who are paid to promote stuff on Instagram. Instagram. Uh, one of well, the one she gets obsessed with is played by Elizabeth Olsen, and she ends up moving out to LA and ingratiating herself into uh, 
into uh, Elizabeth Olsen's character's life. And it's a really good movie about stalking. It's a good movie about obsessiveness with the internet, about not having what you might think of as real relationships, but sometimes they become just as real as any other relationships. I think it's really, really good, and I don't want to say too much about it because there's a lot of stuff that's really worth discovering as this movie goes on. Yeah, I was expecting a comedy, and I got, like, not that. Like, it it can be funny, but... It is also like a very dark, depressing. It kind of it kind of goes into like yeah, like you said, how social media has kind of like um, warped people in a, like a certain way. So like it's almost like a continuation of movies like The Fan or yes. other movies like about like being obsessed about sports figures or being obsessed about like all about Eve or something like that. You know, like where you're obsessed with the movie star. Uh, recently, I saw The King of Comedy for the first time, and I'm like, yeah. oh, this makes me think of Ingrid Goes West. No question. Yeah, yeah. and it really is a kind of a continuation of that type of movie. Um, so it was really good. It, it doesn't um, just take the easy way out, which would be to just make fun of all the characters and just say, like, oh, all these all these Instagram people are just vacuous and stupid and, and stalkers yeah. are creepy. Like, it has, like... It has a genuine sense of sympathy for everyone involved on some yeah. level. Yeah. Joseph, what's your number two? What's it called again? I just want to hear you say it. My special Menchie? Yeah, what's your number two? We, we my, number two special, <laughs> my number two special Menchie is, I'm, I'm going to give you a caveat here, um, in that uh, there is a little bit of relationship. My wife knows the director of this from college, but I would still be recommending this otherwise. Because... This is a movie called Signature Move. Crickets. Signature yeah, I mean, Move. I, I've never, I've never heard of it. Signature Move is a movie set in uh, Chicago, uh, filmed uh, in the last couple of years. It's a movie essentially about a uh, woman who is a Pakistani Muslim woman living with her mother in Chicago, and she basically gets involved with a, another woman uh, who is a fan of basically luchadores. I think that's the correct uh, term for women masked wrestlers in Mexican uh, luchador culture. Yeah, pro- I don't even know unfair, if it's specific. I just think it's, yeah, luchadoras. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. And it's just a really great, charming movie that I wish more people had seen in the theater. It got a very limited release. Uh, I was lucky enough to see it at the, at the music box here. It's on Amazon Prime these days. It's really, really, really worth checking out. It's just this charming Chicago movie about a woman dealing with her family and dealing with uh, the family of the, uh, of the of the girl that she's seeing, and it isn't quite sure if she's ready to come out yet. And it's it's really really well done. Um, it stars a woman named uh, Fazia, pardon me, Fazia Mirza uh, as Zainab. She is the lead of it, a thirty-something lawyer in Chicago. She's working with immigrant cases, and it's it's her dealing with her immigrant mother, played by uh, pardon me, Shabana Azmi, who apparently is a very popular uh, Indian actress. And it's really worth checking out. So I, I really hope more people see this. Yeah, well, it looks like it's available to rent in all the normal places. So I just added it to my watch list. Um, uh, I think it's included if you're an Amazon Prime member. Great. I won't even give this lady money that you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I- thanks for that tip. All right. Well, I will do my two quick special menchies. Uh, the first one is a movie that if you like Possession, great news. They made it again, but a little different. Uh, it's a movie called The Untamed, oh. which is, you know, I always like to put, I watched a lot of good horror movies in 2017. 
Um, and this was definitely one of my favorites that didn't quite make my top 2025. But oh, it, I never got around to this one. Sorry. It is sorry, it is sorry, something that I'm – it's so good. And it's something that like I still think about on a fairly regular basis, which is if you've ever seen uh, 1981's Possession, is a very similar feeling you get watching that movie. It's not like exactly the same, but it does have like some tentacle monster sex, which is why it gets the comparison. But it and is – And the domestic drama. Yeah. It, it's so good. I mean, it. I don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to ruin anything. It takes some amazing turns. Um, the 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 tentacle monster itself has an entirely different purpose than in Possession, which I don't want to say what that one is either because if you've never seen Possession, <laughs> I don't want to spoil it. But anyways. Uh, how's the timeout and then minefield, Aaron? Yeah. So anyways, if you like Possession or think, I would like Possession, it's very hard to watch, I would definitely see The Untamed. Or if you just like cool weird horror movies and then the second one is one that man this one was on my top 10 for so long it was on my top 15 for so long it's now sitting at number 20 it is maybe one of the most fun times i had at the movie lat the movies in 2017 i just i absolutely love this movie and that is uh 2017's power rangers Really? Really. So here's the thing. I never watched the show. I was a little bit too old for it. And to the point that like the couple times I tried to watch it uh, because a cousin who was younger, someone had it on. I was like, this is stupid. I still remember making fun of it with my brother about how like, I guess the White Ranger got a new costume and now he's the Green Ranger or vice versa or whatever. And some fucking kid in front of me in the theater was like turned around to me and my brother and explained why his suit changed and i'm like are you are you serious like i mean i was like 10 so i didn't say that but uh i kind of listened and then probably i went and back to making fun of it with my brother although he was listening because i was like bizarre but i really didn't like power rangers i I have no connection to it whatsoever but the movie like the trailer and the movie kind of looked fun and so i was like yeah i'll watch this this will be like a three-star movie like kind of like a justice league or something like that where it's like whatever I can turn my brain off and watch a big blockbuster and it'll be fun. And I fucking loved it. Like, the characters uh, have such a fun, like, teamwork and relationship and they spend a lot of time building that relationship. The action scenes are a lot of fun. Like, it's to the point where they they do play the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers uh, theme song at one point and, like, I wanted to stand up in my chair and and cheer. It was like, even though I have no connection to that theme song at all, like... (laughs) It but is it's a banger, man. It, it, it is a really, it is a really great theme song. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but like when it like when it kicks in is like this. Uh, it's it's so good. I you know everyone was like, oh, they have plans for seven movies. I'm pissed that people didn't see it because I would have watched all seven of those movies. It's it's absolutely a blast. But like it's also like really good at making you care about the characters. It's not just like you know four white guys and a and a one girl. Like they do a really good job of like. Um, uh, reflecting like uh, people of color and women and stuff like that on the team, which I guess I suppose the the old show may have done as well. Um, again, I didn't really watch it, but it's it's just a, it's it so did. good. It's yeah. so good. Um, have have either of you guys seen it? I have not. I haven't seen it either, and partially because I was a fan of the show as a kid. You know, when you're too much in the target audience, like they were clearly trying to get like 
kids with, with these, especially these weird reboots they, they try and get kids who grew up with something and try and mine their nostalgia it was the same thing with the teenage mutant ninja turtles movies I, I felt like i was too much in the in the hot zone and i was like all right this is weird Except yeah you sell me my childhood well but, so it was funny about was teenage mutant ninja turtles yeah it is really great uh i fan fan of the show brandon ladane former guest of the show was the one who was really pushing for it and he he loves it too and he's like i stood up and cheer for a fucking uh, Krispy Kreme commercial because the climactic battle takes place in a Krispy Kreme, but um, <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, I mean, it's just I think if you watch it and you aren't like that was a am- that was pretty amazing. Like, it's just going to be like uh, when I saw Monster Trucks and I'm like, wait a second, that's actually kind of good. He, yeah, here's 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 the thing: is like 2017 is full of really good blockbuster entertainment. Like, really, really good. There, There's a ton, even ones that didn't make my top 15, that are, like, sitting right in the top 25. Big budget, blockbuster movies. They're, like, action movies or stuff like that. And I don't want to list a bunch of them yet because we, people, I'm sure, will be talking about them. But in a year that there was, like, probably, like, eight, you know, triple A blockbuster movies in my top 30, Power Rangers was easily one of the highest. Nice. So, uh, anyway, uh, let's go on. Uh, so, Peter, now if you want to run through, in order, 15 to 11, your Ani Menchies. My Ani Menchies? Okay. My first Ani Menchie. Number 15. My, uh, is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. A great example of what I'm just talking about. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't usually have these big budget uh, movies in my uh, my top 10, my top 20, because usually they don't touch me on any emotional level. Uh, and that's really what gets them on the best of list, because these, I'm trying to make a list of the movies I'm actually going to remember 10 yeah. years from now, or I'm trying to make a mental note to remember. This movie kind of touched every part of me because James Gunn is and is a very funny, you know, writer. He knows exactly what kind of, of cynicism that I find funny and what kind of cynicism to sort of avoid. At least he knows now how to avoid that kind of cynicism. Um, and the movie is full of these just amazing emotional beats that just hit you again and again and again in a way that I was like, I've seen this before, and yet I'm, like, glued to the screen um, just because he pulled them off so much more compellingly than I'm what I'm used to. So the silly, the silly, goofy uh, comic book movie actually touched me somewhere, which is, like, that's that's rare. It's not close to my top 15, but am I going to deny that I was crying like a damn baby at the end of that movie? Hell no. Yeah. It's it's pretty... number it's number 30 for me, but again, that speaks to how many fucking great movies I watched in 2017 more than um like I think I gave it four and a half stars. Like I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah. 35 for me. It's a, it was a damn good year when you start looking at the list. Yeah. Yeah, I'm dead inside and I was almost crying at the end. Um, and then my next one is It, another big budget horror movie. The uh, the, def- the yeah. definition of a mainstream horror movie. It's 28, and, I mean, yeah. And I fucking loved how it balanced both the – it's uh, mainstream sort of need to get a bunch of scares in there. Basically like a, a big um, – like a, a big fun house, that sort of approach. And also with the fact that it was dramatically compelling and it had a lot of indie horror sort of touches that 
made it feel more diverse in terms of scares and in terms of uh, how it traveled from set piece to set piece. Uh, yeah. Loved it. Well, and it was so fun for me, too, because I loved it, too. Um, but I, I had never read the book or even seen the TV miniseries. So it was fun for me, not just that it was like a really good movie that I enjoyed watching, but like I didn't know where any of it was going, Yeah, <laughs> which, I, which I feel was – was not exactly the experience of most of at least my like movie friends that watched it. So I was also on the edge of my seat from a suspense perspective of like, where is this? Like, how are they going to defeat this fucking clown? It kind of seemed impossible. And <laughs> yeah. as, uh, and uh, speaking of somebody who has read both the book, I read the book back in like 1986. I'm old people um, <laughs> and saw the miniseries, but I also just wanted to put it as this was the emergence of a bunch of young acting talent. Oh my god, yeah. Finn, uh, movie, Finn Whitrock, so... god. But yeah, great, uh, awesome movie. Uh, uh, people should watch it. Um, and the next one, uh, I don't know, it's it's from it's sort of an obscure movie, but I hope everyone has seen it. Uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi? Never heard um, of it. It's, uh, it's the Star Wars movie that loves Star Wars so much that it needed to tell Star Wars to fuck itself. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a love letter to Star Wars, but an honest love letter. And I, I love that about it. I love that it, it's calling out the bullshit from the previous movies, but it still is collecting up all of the beautiful things about it. It's about young heroes choosing to take up their, the, you know, the, the hero's journey, but it's trying to sort of also slap them on the wrist for being selfish and being idiots basically uh i love that about it i love that about it i will keep my thoughts to myself joseph uh it is not on any of my lists uh, it is barely below i love it i think it's a really really good star wars movie yeah i yeah it it, it really got to me um and then call me by your name it's the next one um, uh reserving my thoughts <laughs> me too um, call me by your name <laughs> is one of those movies that i put off because i was like I feel like I've seen this one before. This Italian neo-realist kind of like, you know, drama about a bunch of people hanging out and they talk about, I don't know, fucking philosophy or architecture, whatever Italians talk about when they're sad and horny. And um, <laughs> and then I watched it and I was like, You were thinking of the song uh, Peaches by President of the United States of yeah, America. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking of. Um, so side story, my mom was, once was listening to the car, that song with us in the car and she goes, I don't think this song's about peaches. <laughs> what are you talking about? It, it literally goes through how they get from the trees to the can that you eat them out of. Of course. Uh, I don't see how it could get any clearer than that. Um, call me by Does she, name. Wait, hold on. Does she think lump is not about actual lumps? <laughs> She's just about a girl who's got a, a weird name. Uh, Great, now I have the Weird Al version of uh, Lump stuck in my head. What did, wait, Weird Al did a, a version of Lump? Gump. Yeah, it's, a, it's a Forrest Gump song. Yeah. Oh. Gump said alone <laughs> on a bench in the park. My name is Forrest, he casually remarked. <laughs> no, I didn't know this. Okay, uh, Aaron just put it as the end song and this got it. Um, <laughs> Call Me By Your Name is a movie that you, uh, it's, it's why you need to just trust uh, the reviewers you trust and just go fucking see the movie because it's beautiful on every level. It's not just, it's not just a movie about gay romance. It's also a movie about discovering who you really are and that, you know, the diversity of what relationships can mean and how, how beautiful and how anxiety-inducing a 
ill-defined relationship can be. Like, it's a movie that if you are not an asshole, you can probably see some part of yourself in the various characters at its center. And it's, 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 it is a movie that made me cry in, uh, in 2017, which uh, gets its own special award, uh, as I am, as previously mentioned, dead inside. Special uh, cries. Special cries. Um, last one, Ghost Story. Uh, movie that sounds like it was made on a bet. Because uh, it, it kind of <laughs> was like it was made on the off time from Pete's Dragon. Is that true? Dave, for David Lowry had like yeah. spare time yep. when post production on on Pete's Dragon, uh, and he pulled together this very quick, very lean, but very um, surprising movie with lots of cool set pieces about essentially what a ghost goes through before they become the ghost. Uh, and it's, I don't really want to say much more about it. It's, it's, yeah. it's transcendental, it's meditative, it's beautiful, it's haunting, and I think ultimately uh, kind of affirming. So yeah. I, I don't think it's a movie that you're going to watch and just be depressed at the end of. I think it's a movie that's very much about how death is just another transition. I'll, I'll save my thoughts on that. <laughs> okay. It's not a movie that's on any of my Pete, list, are you but... happy you got to go first this year? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who has no spiritual side, I don't believe in any of it. Ghost Story is one of those movies that made me wish I believed in that sort of thing. I, 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 I think it's, Joseph. yeah, it's, it's, it's lovely. Yes, I totally agree. It made me be like, humor the idea of, of, of that for a moment. And it, it's kind of beautiful. Joseph, what are your... Ani Menchies. Ani Menchie number one is so Raw. 15? Pardon me, 15. <laughs> Counting down to 11 is Raw, which I believe you guys are doing at some point in your uh, schedule, so uh, we, you we guys did don't have to speak too much about it. We did it two months ago, and it was a fantastic episode. <laughs> Freaking great. <laughs> we we either loved it or hated it on a second watch. Uh, well, I, I'm I pretty sure I loved it. <laughs> Raw is a lovely movie about sisterhood. It's a lovely movie about college. It's a hazing movie, which I certainly wasn't expecting going in to see it. Although, it's weirdly, a, it is a movie about sisterhood, but unlike most movies about sisterhood, there's no traveling pants. Just They just eat people. Yes. Some of those it, people it, eat, are wearing pants, though. I think there's a traveling, like, uh, medical jacket. Is there any, any divine secrets? Uh, of the uh, there is there is a divine secret at the end. Fair, fair, oh yeah, fair point. Yeah, yeah. That, I know we talked about it. That blood yeah. is thicker than water. <laughs> um, yes, I uh, I loved Raw. It's a it is a movie that is full of surprises and how it tackles stuff that you think you've seen a hundred times before. Kai yeah, is, I am so happy. And... Yeah, it's in the thirties on my list. Um, I love it. But, it's one of those uh, movies that I am so happy that I went to see a preview screening of, knew pretty much nothing about it going in. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> At least three people around me got up and walked out. Oh, it's <laughs> it's grisly. It's, um, that yeah, that, that and, hand um, scene is... Uh, I, don't, I don't get disturbed that often at, like, gore in movies. I'm a little desensitized. But that was one where I'm like, I need to... Uh, this needs to be over as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, number 14 for me, my first animation of the, of the list, uh, we have Coco. Oh, wow. Just outside of my top 15. I, yeah. It's like, I, it's like I, 17. Uh, it's so good. I adore this movie. It's such, I, I think it's probably Pixar's best in like five years, maybe, which is saying. Oh, you didn't I mean, see Inside Out? 
Uh, I go back and forth. I have had this question asked to me. Do I think this? Is I will say. I'm, hold on. I'm a little. I'm a little. Not to use your last movie raw about it because I love Coco. Like I said. But I every podcast or any movie thing I've heard where they talk about finally Pixar made a good movie again uh, after like you know eight or seven years of not that great movies. I feel like everyone is forgetting Inside Out. I totally agree. I, I, you are correct. Inside Out might be a little bit better, but Coco is really challenging. That this yeah. is a this is a really really good movie. Yeah, I'm not much of an Inside Out fan. Um... And uh, it's not bad at all. You've heard, you've heard, you've heard me today, Peter. In a way that <laughs> yeah, no Peter, it's, it's, it's not one. Peter, would you, do, Peter, would you want to step out of the room for a second? <laughs> sure. Yeah, you guys want me to leave? Okay, uh, Aaron. Aaron. It's because he's all anger heads. I know. I know. He's dead inside. No, all, all the all the five emotions are just the are just the the anger guy. Ugh, God, it's total Kubler Ross in here. It made him it made him feel something. He's like, I don't think so. I'm Lewis Black. Oh, God. Peter, anyway, Peter, good to see I'm you guys. I'm mad that there wasn't an emotion for horny. Um, <laughs> that was green. Disgust. <laughs> uh, usually green steps in after horny's done. So, yeah, um, it's, it's one same, same uh, two sides of the same coin. Yeah, they hold hands, but they're not the yeah. same thing. Um, but anyway, getting back to Coco, I think it's a really lovely movie. It's a, it's a, it's a very good family movie. It's a, it's another good movie like we talk about about uh, discovering who you are. It's, it's beautifully shot. Um, I think cinematography gets underrated in animated movies because it's, you know it's it's all created on a computer or in the let or in the uh, or in the drawings. But I'm like, but it's still cinematography. You still have to choose these shots. And I think Coco does a beautiful work at that. Was so glad I took Maya to it when she would have been three. She she saw it in theaters, and it was definitely one I was kind of like, we were going more for the Frozen short than Coco. Like when it came to taking Maya to it because she loves Frozen, and I'm like. I hope she likes Coco, but I also understand, like, this is not necessarily a movie for a three-and-a-half-year-old, and she loved it. She was obsessed with it. We've seen it 20 times. It's, nice. It is yeah. a beautiful movie. I think that – that I'm so glad that that and Moana now are dominating my uh, my nieces and nephews' lives yeah. because, like, yeah. the music in, them, in both of them is just so gorgeous. Can you imagine if you had nieces and nephews in the early 2000s? You're like, oh, we're watching Brother Bear and Home on the Range again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Shrek too. Fun fact. Uh, fun fact. I took uh, after my grandfather died. Uh, my sister and I were. Oh, this is going to be a fun taking, fact. You can tell. <laughs> taking all of the uh, little cousins because uh, we're the old cousins. Taking all the little cousins to go see a fun movie called Home on the Range. So now I associate Homer on the Range with my uh, all my little cousins just sitting dead eyed staring at the screen. Thinking about their dead grandfather. <laughs> That's great. It, it actually works perfectly as a metaphor because Home on the Range killed uh, Disney's hand-drawn animation position. <laughs> I don't want to do this so, anymore. So it's a, it's, a, it's a perfect movie to celebrate death. Uh, it, is, it, is one of my, it is one of my both favorite. When was your grandpa born? At the same time. When was your grandpa? If he was born the same year that Snow White came out, that would be a really nice bookend. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Number 13 is the, is the perfect movie to celebrate death because it's the killing of a sacred deer. How do you ah. like that segue, huh? So that, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, one of my favorite directors, that is in the 80s. 
on my list. I oh. don't really care for it that much. Alrighty, I think it's a, I think it's an excellent uh, freaking movie. I think it's uh, Nicole Kidman is wonderful in it. Uh, I, I think she's probably the best performance in it. I, I really do. Even over Ezra Miller and uh, Colin Farrell, who are both great in it. I think it's a really, like any Lothamos movie, I think it's completely whacked out. And I think you could have two people who can agree that it's well done and uh, that it's uh, in one person's 13 and one person's 80s. Because yeah. that's the kind of reaction you get from Yorgos Lothamos. Number 12, I kind of went back and forth on, it's like, how much do I like this movie? Should it be in my number 10? It was in my number 10 for quite a while. Number 12, Logan. Uh, Yeah, in the 40s on my list. Really good. Like you said, uh, good year for the big budget, the big budget action movies. Yeah. Especially Logan was sort of like um, a complete diversion from what you expected from that series, right? Yeah, and I didn't really like the wolf. I know people like the Wolverine, but I was not that big of a fan of it. Yeah, I don't really like any of the X Men movies, so it was pretty fun for me. <laughs> I like the Logan. I like the Wolverine enough, but this this thing is something different entirely. I love the setting. I love the idea, which I don't think comes out of a comic book at all. Which I thought is- it did. I thought I, I don't read comics, but I thought it was like. Old Man Logan is what they old call man, it. Old Man Logan does not come... Uh, the idea of Old Man Logan comes from this. Pardon me. It comes from Old Man Logan, but not this specific okay. circumstance involving uh, prof- uh, involving Professor X. Got it. Okay. How they how they rid the world of mutants in that book is much, much different. There are three great performances in this between... Uh, uh, um, between Stewart, between Jackman, and between, I cannot remember her name right now, Dana something? Spanish actress who plays the, the little girl in it. This is a really interesting mutant movie, and I like that there's obviously a lot of thought put into it. They went for the R, but it's not a gratuitous R. This is a earned R. Yeah, and it had an ending that really affected me. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Number. Okay, so I'm going to move up to my number 11 is going to be The Big Sick. Oh, great. Great movie. I'll save my thoughts on that one for later in this podcast. Uh, anyways, all right. So my special mentions. So in a year of amazing superhero movies, basically like all the Marvel movies are in my top 30 that came out last year, which is three of them. They're, they're, the Power Rangers, I suppose you could count it. There's other ones like Logan. There's a ton of good superhero movies that came out in 2017. Uh, and then also Justice League, which is actually, though, my favorite of, like, those movies. So even that was hitting pretty good. But my number 15 is, I think, the best superhero movie of the year. Uh, and that is Wonder Woman, which nice. is just – it feels like a template movie, right? Like, in the same way, like, Superman, Batman, this 2002 Spider-Man, like, even though they were all kind of building off each other, like, it feels like, oh – I am taking all those other templates and just making, like, an amazingly good superhero movie with a protagonist that, you know, they it got a lot of press as being, like, the first, and rightfully so, like, oh, hey, maybe we should make uh, one of these superhero movies with, I don't know, a woman? Crazy. I don't know if we Never can do that. But, stuff. but the best thing is, is that, and this is partially because, like, obviously they had Patty Jenkins directing and not some, like, Josh Whedon asshole fanboy <laughs> type stuff but she gets to be like a real character who is smart who is capable who has never played for like oh she's like a 2011's thor was very good in that 
it would, there's a lot of a humor to be mined from like Chris Hemsworth kind of being completely oblivious in that fish out of water way. And they, they kind of do those same beats in Wonder Woman, but they do it in a way that it's not that she doesn't understand what's going on, which would have been very easy. It's, Oh, I understand perfectly. You guys are stupid. <laughs> um, so, and I don't care about all your little fucking dumb uh, politics and war games. Like, I'm actually trying to stop evil. Please don't get in my way. It's just, it's so good. Chris Pine is my favorite Chris because of this movie uh, and all his other work. But like, it's it's so good. I cannot wait to see the sequel. It's it's just the best superhero movie of a year of great superhero movies. Uh, I, I really like Chris Pine and uh, Gal Gadot in it. Uh, it's a it's a really really well done movie. Uh, number 14 is a movie that I could probably discuss for a long time if I'd watched it more recently. But it's a movie I uh, was like talking with anybody who had seen it when I first got out of the theaters and then um, rewatched it on, on Blu-ray and was again like just wanting to talk about it because it's one of those movies, which is Mother. Uh, Darren Aronofsky's Mother. I, I know there's a lot of different interpretations of it and um, I kind of take it as like a – Literally a Cliff Notes version of the Bible that they made a horror movie mm-hmm. out of. I think it's very scary. It's very creepy. And as part of that, it takes a lot of like the text that no one talks about in the Bible. It's like, yeah, God is portrayed as a man. And and how that idea of this person who is like this torturer of his creations um, but also sees himself as superior and uh, infallible – and then, then that image is given to a man and then his son and stuff like that, how that also affects like the way that women are perceived and all these other things. It's just – again, I haven't seen it recently enough that I could go through like all the 20 things I wanted to talk about it. But it is a very scary movie and it also had one of my favorite reveals when I realized what was going on uh, in the movie. About 15 minutes to the end, I'm like, oh, I see what this has been the whole time. And then everything kind of came into place and it – uh, like a lot of Aronofsky movies, it, it's a perfect rewatch movie. Yeah, I love how it, I love how divisive it is. Like, I Joseph, do you like it? I do like it, but I have a different uh, take on it from uh, from the rest of you, maybe. So go ahead, Peter. I love how it is. It balances tone so well, and like I said this, and I think Aaron thought it was kind of a, 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 me being reductive of the movie, but I legitimately mean it. I think it's a stress test movie because it everyone in the movie just constantly finds ways to violate Jennifer Lawrence's character. And I don't just mean that in like a sort of like, it's a torture porn movie. It's almost like for much of it, it's almost like an emotional torture porn movie. Um, oh no, you are, you are 100% correct on that, Peter. From the, uh, from so the dealing with the bathrooms to sitting on the sink in the kitchen. Yes. Oh my God. That stuff made me so angry, but in a way that I was like, this wouldn't, None of this would make me angry if I thought this was – if I didn't buy into the film. And I'm buying into the film. And and even after the big twist at the end, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm completely bought in. Thank you for making this weird fucking like magic trick for me, Darren Aronofsky. My feeling in the movie was that – and I don't mean this in any way insulting to Darren Aronofsky, who I think did a fantastic job with this movie – I thought it was one of the funniest movies I saw last year. It, it is, is a very darkly comic movie about the Bible. Yeah. It, especially it is just riffing through the entire thing. And I'm like, this is funny as shit. 
it's it's very funny if you watch it on a if you watch it on a second watch in particular with the knowledge of of, of what happens in the third act you're like oh this is this is actually like kind of a, a brutal uh, audit of what the events of the Bible are. Um, right. I, also, I, I uh, Mich- Michelle Pfeiffer should have been nominated for an Oscar. I will not back down from this. It just insert Michelle Pfeiffer should have been nominated for in pretty much most movies. Yeah. Made and, yeah. True. Uh, yeah. Look at Batman Returns. That she should have won. Yes. Uh, well, should have won that year. Um, yeah, I guess I think the only thing I would take issue with, Joseph, I know you I think we've actually had this debate at one point. Yes. About the the comedic take is that it's like it is f- funny, I think, in almost an academic sense, the way that he is able to take these little pieces from the Bible and very cleverly insert them into this other narrative so that mm-hmm. until it becomes blatantly obvious what's going on, like all the pieces kind of tumble into place. And when you look back at that, it's like, oh, it's funny that the rib section is like. It's like Ed Harris like puking in the bathroom and they're like, what was in the toilet? It's funny to me in an academic sense. I take a little bit issue and not like issue in the sense that you're wrong, but I'm I'm surprised that the take or and maybe this is just the way you've put it is like this is laugh out loud. Hilarious. Like that. That part of it doesn't really I don't really see that, I guess. in the movie. OK, but, I mean, I, I, I think it's just a reaction take to it. Yeah, fair enough. When I was um, watching the movie, it just felt like I'm like I I I think this is this is a very dark comedy. Yeah, I mean it's definitely darkly comic, but like I guess I don't know. Anyways, it's a debate I think we've had already. Right, um, but <laughs> either uh, way, we both we both appreciate that it's a very well done movie. Yes, yeah, uh, on a technical level, I don't know if there were many movies this made made this year that were more impressive, just on a purely technical level. Uh, yeah. Frankly, you set design that place oh. is fucking fantastic. It's insane to look at. It's got to be like, a and you know, movie. and you know where everything is, which I always appreciate. I mean, I, I, I think we've talked about it in this on this podcast before, but like, there is a magic trick and a very risky one for kind of controlling the audience from having a second to think about what's going on um, so that, like, you can kind of reveal your full hand at the perfect time. Like, this wasn't a movie where all the pieces were very blatantly obvious, I think, but it didn't click for me, and I know it didn't click. Everyone I've talked to that has seen the movie, like, it clicked about the same time. And I think that's because, like, it's very easy for twisting movies for you to have time to, like, ponder and think what's going on, even if you're not one of those people that academically wants to. Like, I don't want to guess the twist, but your brain just goes and you're like, what is going on? This movie moves so fast that it feels like the reaction for most people that saw it was, oh, it was super obvious the second I got that final piece. I just was so caught up in what in what was going on and the movie just – literally was flinging you into situation after situation that I never had a second to catch my breath. So when you talk about like how something is so well made, the fact that that he was able to sustain that for like an hour and a half before all the cards tumble is very impressive. Uh, Anyways, so number 13 is The Big Sick. Uh, Nice. It's it's a weirdly like wholesome comedy for like an R-rated filthy movie from a language perspective. 
to the point that I showed my notoriously, uh, if you've listened to some of our sh- episodes, religious parents this movie. And even though they could have done without, quote, them sleeping together so soon and all the swear words, they, like, loved the movie. And the fact that it's based on a real relationship doesn't, like, hurt either. In that idea of, like, oh, this really, like, you are so invested in this kind of one-sided love story for a good portion of the movie and then how all that stuff like it's just it's just a great story and it's a great story of like two amazing real life people how they ended up together so yeah i just i love it yeah it's uh i love it a lot i'll save my some of my thoughts but it's uh it's it's one of those movies that you're like it's it's good to remind people that they don't dislike rom-coms yeah right. <laughs> they, just dislike, they just dislike bad rom-coms like i think people see like one bad rom-com and they're like they're like ew get this taste of, i never want to taste this flavor again but instead it's like no you just saw a bad rom-com it's a genre it's very diverse there's good stuff in it no joe versus the volcano for me i saw house sitter <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh my number 12 is ladybird some of these movies that we talk about, the one problem with doing this a year later is like, what the fuck else do you say about Lady Bird? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. It is, I mean, Greta Gerwig, who I all, always loved in the stuff that she acted in uh, and stuff that she you know wrote as well, just did an amazing uh, debut. This is such a like pleasant movie. It's such a relatable movie. I, I think one thing it I know it got called out, quote unquote call everything gets called out on Twitter. A lot of it should be. But I, I do feel like one area that it kind of hit home with me personally, not just the time period that uh, Lady Bird grew up in, but that idea of like, you know, she has a nice house and they have stuff. But like my parents, especially when I was younger, like never had any money because they, they would have a nice house and like all of their money would go to that house. Their cars would break down. They had a billion kids. Like my mom didn't work. And like, so that like feeling of like, why don't we have any of this other stuff that like all my friends have, but like no one looks at you as like, oh, why don't they have any money? They live in a three story like house. I don't, I don't know. There's, there's something about like that, like middle class poverty that was very like hit home for like my childhood and something that I didn't realize about my parents until I was much older. It was like, oh, they literally had money for nothing. And then uh, Aaron, I will have thoughts about that particular thing when we get to Lady Bird in my top ten. Okay, so uh, so uh, and then finally, my number eleven is Ghost Story, which was on my ten for a long time until I did a little bit of catch up, and one movie kind of pushed it, pushed it off. Um, Pete Dragon's David Lowry's previous movie was my favorite movie of last year. It, you know, everything Pete said was accurate. The one thing I'll actually call out so much uh, that I feel like it gets the most shit of that movie is that speech in the middle about, like, how nothing matters, essentially. Because if you don't, uh, you know, uh, you if you don't believe in anything, it is just, like, eventually every molecule dissipates, the universe is left cold in the way they walk through all that stuff, and people are like, that basically calls out the themes of the movies. And I will say this, uh, I loved that part of this movie. Yeah, <laughs> I love well, the whole movie. Oldham giving a really compelling speech on nihilism, right? It is, and it's also, like, the thing that keeps me up most at night. So, like, to have Will Oldham, like, articulate my greatest fears in this, like, detailed description, like, it gives me, like, a panic attack every time I see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. And yeah. so, so I get that, like, yeah, well, this is super obvious. And sure, 
like this was not things I hadn't thought about before, but it was like it was literally calling out a lot of the other themes of the movie as well as like hitting a particular personal spot in in me of like, oh, yeah, thank you. For describing all of all of the things that keep me up at night, Will. And I think it's um, really interesting in that movie that, from what I remember, outside of the pre-death scenes in the very beginning, that it's the one scene in the movie where the camera is moving around quite a bit. Yeah, it, kind it, of it really is. Yeah, the party. and and there's all these like lights hanging because it's supposed to be like a college party or a graduate party or something like that. Yeah. So it almost it in the way it kind of moves around, it almost feels like you're seeing the stars like dissipate. Like it's it's really well done. David yeah. Lowry is an amazing director. Uh, so yeah, that's our that's our Menchies. Before we get into our top ten, a couple quick things. First, we didn't really talk about uh, what we didn't get a chance to watch. So I just wanted to mention that. So I actually watched. I can't believe I watched 117 2017 movies. So I. It's a lot, which basically means my top 10 is really fighting for the best of the best. I feel like looking at that list, like 50 up is four-star movies for me. There were so many great movies. I do feel like the biggest movie that I did not get a chance to see um, was Faces Places, which I was trying to catch up with. I, I watched I watched like Phantom Thread just a couple nights ago, which I really liked, but didn't make my – my list, I was trying to do some catch-up, but I just didn't make time for Faces Places, and I know that's a big one for people. Pete, Joe, any any anything that you didn't get a chance to to watch that uh, you want people to know before we get into the top ten? Uh, Peter, you go ahead first. Probably Faces Places was one that I, I missed that I, I really regret not getting time to, but um, we, had, we had a decent amount of time. Some stuff just uh, slipped between my fingers because people stopped talking about it. Uh, for 2017, something I didn't see. Sorry, as I scramble, I still have not seen Baby Driver. I I have no excuse for this. I really don't. I have not seen good. I have not seen Good Time. I know a lot of people love it. Haven't seen it. Haven't seen Wind River. Uh, Wind. You don't need to see Wind. Like it's Wind River's fine. <laughs> okay, but I wouldn't be like it's. It, if it made your top 50, I'd be surprised. I haven't seen Wonder, Death of Stalin. Uh, before we go to our top ten, we don't want to end on a downer. What's the worst fucking movie you saw in 2017? Peter, what did you see? Peter of mine is 100% going to be the same. So yeah, if you want to talk about it now, we can do it. It's going to be the same. And I really, really wish that we had uh, space to talk about it more. But it is The Shack. Yeah, no. And we. to be fair, we did not talk about it beforehand. <laughs> what? So Peter whoa, did. Whoa. Both of you saw the shit. So here's the thing: we, <laughs> our our second episode of Pod's Not Dead was going to be on the shack. We recorded for three hours, which is about half the length of the movie. <laughs> I fully like respect. I fully respect your religious podcast, and <laughs> uh, and there was an audio issue, and so we couldn't do anything with the episode. Okay. So we not only is it – and I watched some bad movies. Like the movie that I actually probably hated the most because I wanted to like it and it was based on two different source material that I loved was The Disaster Artist. But like The Disaster Artist is like a two-star movie for me that I have a lot of thoughts on. Nothing's going to come close to The Shack for this is 
just garbage up and down. You guys made your Sam Worthington jokes in 2008 and 2009. <laughs> and you're like, oh, look at this guy. This guy sucks. Well, guess what? Good for you. I hope you're all happy because now he's starting in the shack <laughs> about meeting uh, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit in a shack with some of the worst moralizing and ethics. I don't even remember. Like, it has been a while. It's been almost a year since we recorded that lost episode. I don't remember everything, but I remember having a lot of thoughts about, like, this movie is beyond ethically dubious. This is offensive. <laughs> wow. I, I honestly feel underappreciated about my uh, about my choice for worst movie because I never saw The Shack. Peter, since since we're never going to release that, do you have any other remembrances of The Shack? That you I, I have read the novel of The Shack, by the way. Uh, what uh, is wrong with you? Why'd you spend more time with The Shack than we did? We just had to suffer for two and a half hours. Although, in fairness, he had 0% Tim McGraw, and we had a significant percent of Tim McGraw. <laughs> Which, I think that might double the runtime. Yeah. No, no. The novel took me about 90 minutes, so I actually came out ahead of you guys. <laughs> Lucky you! Look at you, Joseph. Yeah, the shack is the worst fucking thing I've seen in a long time, and I'm not saying that just to mock it as some sort of religious movie. It has adequate budget, a great cast. Uh, it looks pretty good. Like, it's it's like a nice... It doesn't look like it was made for $3, like a fucking Kirk Cameron movie. Yeah. It it had no excuse to be as uh, offensive morally and offensive to good taste. It had no excuse for any of that other than bad decision making. So I have no guilt about beating up on this dumb fucking faux inspirational bullshit. It's the worst yeah. fucking. It's the worst fucking thing I've seen in a long yeah. time. <laughs> All right, uh, Aaron, Joseph. Looks, Aaron, I guess your your letterbox review for it was more like the shit. Yeah, <laughs> and and mine was more like the shark. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that. We did so, that. <laughs> this is we had another one like that after um Monster. Do you remember the Monster where we both posted a review like a year apart from each other and didn't realize it where it was the real monster was alcoholism. <laughs> Uh, and we gave it the same rating and posted essentially the exact same <laughs> review. Year. This is why we host a podcast and also while uh, our Ani Menchies had four crossover movies or three crossover movies yeah. uh, and uh, Joseph and ours had zero. <laughs> That's why Joseph is here to add diversity. I know. We got to add really? diversity or else we might. Yeah. Why else even do it? Really, the navel gazing can can go a lot further, as we've shown with the the solo bolo episodes. So, my worst movie of the year. I went back and forth to this quite a bit over the last couple of days. Oh, it's like, going to be an edge lord pick. I can just tell. Should it be <laughs> this be, much of a preface? It be, should it be Beauty and the Beast, which is terrible? Should it be? Should it be Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, which oh, is terrible? That's great. Should it be Pottersville? Which is terrible. You know what? You're just getting away with listing all of them. This is not fair. <laughs> Should it be Geostorm? Oh, Geostorm? No. My choice oh, is a complete sick. waste of everybody involved, which made me literally angry sitting in a theater watching this. Table 19. That was a lot of build-up for a movie I don't know anything about. Table 19, starring Anna Kendrick. Yeah, you gotta stop at part 18. There's no good number 19. Table 19 is a 
terrible waste of everybody involved about a wedding with Anna Kendrick, Craig Robinson, June Squibb, They're Lisa all getting Kudrow. married? It is one of the worst wedding... No, pardon me. It is the worst wedding movie I've ever seen. This movie made me angry while I was watching it. I'm like, why are you wasting <laughs> everybody in this? Stephen Merchant, Tony Revolori. Ugh. I want to go back because I feel like we talked over Peter's excellent joke of Table 19, The Widowmaker. So, <laughs> wanted to go This back. should be a Widowmaker for Jeffrey Blitz, the director of Table 19. Well, chances are, unless the husband and the wife that got married died at the same time, one of them eventually was a Widowmaker. <laughs> um, all right. Well, without further ado, do you guys want to talk about our top 10 movies of 2017? Sure. Fuck yes. Off. Starting, what is your number 10 movie of 2017? You know, Aaron, it's times like this that I like to think, sit back and name my number 10 movie of 2017. I mean, it's a perfect time for that. Uh, yeah, I would say it's appropriate. Um, Most other times it'd be inappropriate or people would be like, why are you just telling me your 10th? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd say. Logan Lucky. It's like... If Ocean's Eleven wasn't just a jest, it was something that could actually change the people's lives involved. Like, and it's so compelling to see a movie this charming and with, you know, actual good stakes for everyone involved. It doesn't lose its heart at all. And that's why I think it's like a grand improvement over a lot of the heist movies we've been seeing in, from Ocean's Eleven on, on forward, because I feel like I actually give a shit that these guys succeed. It's in the 30s. It's in the 30s for me. I very much liked it. Uh, wouldn't be in my top 10, but I, I think it's a very enjoyable movie. Yeah, it's uh, it charmed. Every aspect of it charmed me. And the thing about Soderbergh is that every one of his films, though, is pretty, pretty masterfully made, I think. So it kind of matters whether or not you either A, give a shit about the subject matter as much as he does, or B, uh, identify with the characters as much as he does. And I found the sort of, like, uh, rollicking working class quality of this so charming and such a great contrast to all the other movies that, that I saw that year and all, all the other movies that, we've, we like I said, we've seen since Ocean's Eleven that are about heists. So many of them are just, like, rich people playing with other people's money. Yeah. I kind of like that this had stakes. Yeah. Yeah. Joseph. 
My number 10 is actually in a way that's going to go off of uh, what you just said, Peter, because my number 10 is Lady Macbeth. Oh, Oh, yeah. That's great. Which is a woman who is... who has been married to a landowner in the 1860s of Britain. And as he and her father go off on their little going across Britain to uh, visit, you know, friends or their lands, she gradually learns to take control of her own destiny. And it, I, honestly, I'm not sure I want to say that much about how it, it works yeah. because it, it's on HBO right now. It's really worth checking out. This is a murder mystery. Yeah, Florence Pugh, uh, Florence Pugh, who I think was her first movie, I want to say, but she is excellent. This this oh. is in the, uh, I think it's number, f- so yeah, 51 on my list, which in a list of about 120 movies, like, it's 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 really, really good. It's, yeah, 50 sounds and, bad. Uh, Naomi Aki is fantastic yeah. as her maid. Uh, Cosmo Jarvis is great as the guy she ends up having an affair with. It's a really, really well done period piece that almost doesn't feel like a period piece. No, uh, not at all. Uh, my number 10 is a little movie that apparently Joseph hasn't seen, uh, Baby Driver. Maybe one of the most fun experiences I've had at the theater in a long time. It would probably be higher on my list if the first half wasn't so much more fun than the second half. Like, the second half is really good, but all the awesome car chase scenes set to iPod music specifically picked out for the bank robberies and car chases like are in that first half. And maybe it gets a couple points knocked down for Kevin having to watch Kevin Spacey in it. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's just it's just so like it is just a blast. It is you know people talk a lot about how like Edgar Wright is like this part of this new generation um of filmmakers in the last 15 years who like like love cinema and make movies about their love of cinema that was like the Quentin Tarantino mold and now you're know, kind of a new generation of that kind of mold and Edgar Wright is at the top of his game when it comes to that kind of stuff of kind of using these pop songs like even super obvious ones but in a way that just makes it exciting and sometimes all you want to see in a movie is like uh, a car chase set to the perfect song, followed by like someone dancing down the street to a choreographed another per- like it, it's it's a musical without being a musical. It's an action movie. It's funny. The cast is almost uh, great, except for one giant blight that wasn't Edgar Wright's fault. It, it's just it's it's so much fun. Like it is as corny as the sounds. It is like the reason why you go to the movies. To like just see spectacle. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a magical movie. It didn't make my top fifteen or my top twenty, but it's it's a magical movie in the sense that, like Aaron said, it reminds you of what what we love about cinema, the power of editing in particular. Uh, yeah, and, and what it means when you're watching a filmic experience that has every single moment, every single shot, every single frame devised by an expert hand who spent a almost childlike amount of time putting small details in that you don't notice yeah. until you've seen the movie three or four times. It's 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 I think after the Cornetto trilogy he was like, "Oh, I know how to shove in a thousand jokes that people will reward me and and thank me for putting in a decade later, two decades later." Yeah. Peter, you're number 9. My number 9, Lady Bird. Um 
Ladybird is one of those movies that has uh, no real surprises. It's not a it's not a plot movie. It's 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 just all the surprises are in terms of should we even be surprised at this point that Saoirse Ronan and um, Laurie Metcalf and Tracy Letts are all great actors? Like no, but. Is it awesome to see them coupled with such a personal story, a story that they're clearly all synced into, and to have such a charming voice as Greta Gerwig kind of guiding all that? Like, yeah, that's what makes it stand out from a lot of coming-of-age stories. It maintains its charm without being self-indulgent. I just – it's it's an effortlessly charming movie. I love Lady Yeah. Bird. A lot of coming-of-age movies get like – they try to go to extremes – and Greta Gerwig understands that, like, teenagers are about extremes, but, like, like a pendulum swing of extremes. So many teenage movies are like, I hate my parents. Or, I am in love with this person, and that's what the movie's about. Or, you know, it just – or, this is my best friend, and we go on adventures. And th- this movie's kind of about how all those things kind of rotate, and like a lot of teenagers do. Like, I'm in love with this guy. Sometimes my mom is my best friend. And sometimes I fucking hate her and don't want to talk to her anymore. And sometimes yeah. like, movies don't – because they're trying to be so plotty or trying to focus on one thing, especially for coming of age uh, or just teenage movies or high school movies, they tend to like – either you have a good relationship with your parents or you don't. Either you have a good relationship with your best friends or you don't. And if you don't and it's like about that breakup of the friendship, that's what the movie's about. Or if it's about – Finding some guy or girl that you like. That's what the movie's about. Like, this is just – this is a high school kid in the early aughts and, like, all the stress and pressure and pendulum swings that come with that um, when you're about to step into adulthood. So, it captures in a way that most movies of that ilk don't. Yep. All right. Joe Bazooka. Go My number nine is Colossal. Oh, Yeah. It's in my top 20. Colossal is a surprisingly interesting movie about toxic masculinity, about Mm -hmm. monster movies, about femininity. It's such a weird combination of things that are happening in this movie that it's like, how do you describe Colossal? Yeah, it's, it's number 23 for me. It was in my top 10 for a lot of the year. It is it is so goddamn good. But you're right. There's a turn in that movie that about concerning toxic masculinity that is so sucks the air out of everything in like this way that I mean it was designed to. But holy shit, that that movie is something else. So when you say that when you say that you missed it, you missed putting on your list, Peter. Or you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, it's by the director of Time Crimes. Yeah, I uh, was going to say this. I, there's, no, there's nothing holding me back from seeing it other than the Im- immense wealth of good movies out there. I, I'm very excited to catch up with that. All right. Uh, my number nine is actually when I was trying to do a little bit of catch up in the last few weeks preparing for this is one of the movies I watched uh, and bumped some stuff out of there, which is a documentary, my only documentary on my list this year, and that is LA-92. Hey, oh, really? Man. Yeah. It is um, – so it's the retelling of the kind of L.A. riots, as you could guess from the name. But it's all done through footage, archival footage. But it still is able to kind of tell a story. And it's a lot of stuff like there's news footage, but it's also like they got some – I don't know if they put out a call for like, hey, did any of you videotape this? Or like whatever they combed through for someone who kept archives. But it's just – it is amazing 
Um, Let's be clear, this is the uh, two years before OJ riots. This is the riots after uh, the shooting of a... The Rodney King stuff, yep. The Rodney King stuff, yes. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it is touching on, you know, last year, Joseph, both you and I, I believe, had the O.J. Simpson documentary, Made in America, pretty high on our list. Yep, um, that, was my, that was my number one of the year. And so this is this is just retelling that. It's like two and a half hours, and it flies by. And like a lot of times when you're talking about, like, inequality and um, that kind of stuff in this country, it is sad how relevant it is and how it feels like it's could happen today it's ripped from today's headlines and um even someone who was alive i was you know nine in 1992 when that happened and i've seen some stuff like in the oj documentary recently where they're talking about it, like seeing like from basically start to finish about everything that led up to that the nation's reaction to all the stuff as it's happening from all these different uh, cameras and, you know, videos that are just these disparate, you know, home movies that people took, news footage, all this stuff. And, like, without any narration, without any talking heads, tells a story uh, so that if you've never even heard of the riots, you can you can know any everything that happened. What led to it, what it was like during it. It's just, it's amazing. It feels like a movie that they must have spent 15 years editing. Like, the way they talk about, like, all the footage they shot for Hoop Dreams, and they're like, we edited that for four years because we had so much footage. This feels like they they spent 15 years combing through every video that anyone ever shot and piecing it together to tell a clear story that, like, for a movie that has no narration and no talking heads, gives a very clear message of what the film is trying to say. It's amazing. Seek it out if you haven't seen it. I am looking it up right now to uh, try and figure out how I can watch it. <laughs> you can rent it. I think I rented it on Voodoo. I think you can rent it on Amazon. So Okay. Uh, we on to number eight? Number eight? Number eight. Nocturama. Ooh, Noct- my number 16. Barely missed the cut. Yeah, Nocturama is a movie that Rick Kelly uh, made me watch. And Nocturama is essentially the story of a bunch of young terrorists, and it's a movie divided in half, first half, them uh, organizing and performing the hunt, uh, organizing and performing the terrorist act, second half, them hiding out and kind of seeing what's going to come come of the act. And it's it treats all the characters with such a dignity and respect and it has such a genuine sense of like um, dignified beauty, but also it's incredibly like uh, unadorned. There's not, I don't think there's much uh, music in it. Um, uh, except you're missing that it's two of the best music uh, drops in movies in 2017. But they're all within the scene, correct? All yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. they're all. Um, but the it's unadorned there's not it's not um it doesn't have like a lot of flourishes to how it how it's beautiful it's just great solid camera work telling a story in a sort of documentary style almost um actually i won't say documentary style very like realistic style though uh you don't feel like you're the the you're being manipulated in yeah like way. michael mann without the the digital camera yes you don't feel like you're being manipulated it's it's a it's a movie that you kind of just have to go see it's 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 way more compelling than you might think uh last time i checked it was on netflix too so hopefully it's still there yes that's where i saw it uh joseph joseph number eight all right for me the number eight is going to be which i don't think is going to be in either of your lists it's going to be love song 
Okay. No, I haven't seen this one. Love Song is directed by So Yeon Kim, a Korean director, and it is uh, starring Janet Malone, Riley Cove, uh, Brooklyn Decker, Amy Simons. It's a fantastic love story about a couple of people who just are working their way out of maybe into and out of relationships. It's really, really good. Yeah, this movie had almost no release. I think it made like $12,000 or something. And it's just a fantastic... Perf- I, it's it's really good. Everybody is probably on Amazon or something. It is on Amazon because I remember you talking about it and I added it. And when I added it, I think you saw it in theaters. It like wasn't released yet. And I never thought about it again. And my guess is one of those things that by the time... Uh, it was available for rent. It probably had like 50 other movies buried in my Amazon queue, which right. so it's like, I, oh, I totally <laughs> forgot it was there. But yeah, I do remember that uh, wanting to watch it. So I will have to catch up with that one. My number eight is uh, every year it feels like there's a movie that I talk about like, oh, this is the movie that pissed me off the most where I left just fucking furious. Like I think Spotlight was one we talked about in 2015. I mentioned uh, the 13th or, or 13th, uh, the Ava DuVarney documentary last year. So, so you know, pissed off in a good way. Yeah, but like you just – like not like not like pissed off like I that was a bad movie, but like seeing uh, even stuff that you know portrayed in like, you know, a very cinematic way with other fiction or documentary can leave you like, yeah, angry, energized, like tear down the system. Uh, so this was that movie this year where – and the first half hour of this movie, I was kind of like, this is fine. By the end, I was just like heartbroken and angry. And that movie is Mudbound. I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it. Nope. Missed it. Nope. Still it, haven't seen it. It is so fucking good. And it does start out like, I know it's based on a novel. Like, it feels like you're watching another like prestige period piece that's going to be like a three star movie. Like the kind that was always released in the eighties and nineties, where you're like, "This is this is pretty good, I guess." It's a little bit of a it's it, when it starts out, it feels like it's going to be an eat your vegetables movie, and by the end of it, it is just like, "Oh my god, I am so I did not see that coming. I did not see where it was going. I'm so angry and hurt, and I can't believe all this happened." good bad to these characters, and like you just want to reach through the screen and like strangle fictional people. And it, it's so goddamn good. It, if you want to watch both like an amazing movie, but also a blood boiling movie uh, that just kind of leaves you devastated, which it, I understand that might not sound like the greatest recommendation, but that's a that's a true mood for movies. Like I want to be overcome by something powerful. Mudbound is your movie. I think the fact that it it um, it was a Netflix movie was part of the reason that it was a little bit buried. So yeah, I I. Uh... I have to go check it out because a part of me was like, oh, Netflix got this? It's probably crap. Despite the Yeah, fact you thought it was going to be have. like, well, what was that no, no, um, what was the Idris album movie that like, I want to say Beast of Burden, but I don't think that's right. Oh, Beast of No Nation? That's right. <laughs> um, where it was like, oh, yeah, that was a, a movie that it was good. Like, th- you're right. Like, it felt like a, like, Beast of No Nation is a great example, in my opinion, of like a three and a half star, three star movie, where it's like, what an important tale you're telling. Yeah. But, yeah. but I but I did, but I didn't really enjoy it. Yeah. I'm being completely I'm being com- uh completely uh disingenuous I guess in the sense that two of the movies in my top 20 
are movies that Netflix picked up. I yeah, I mean, Okja. Yeah, Okja is like in my 22, but like, yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, but like Netflix, a lot of times when Netflix picks up a movie, I'm like, I'm going to need a couple more recommendations before I pull the trigger on this sucker. Yeah. <laughs> so, Peter, what is your uh, number seven? Number seven, Big Sick. Um, I already kind of talked about why I love it, but I got more to say. I got something to say. Um, it's <laughs> essentially, what if you took the most charming couple that you could, you could conjure in one of these movies and then gave them an impossible hurdle to jump over and watching them both try and navigate that hurdle as well as like what their social expectations should be for how young the relationship is and the fact that they sort of, um, they sort of you know, broke up before the thing. The fact that it is a movie ultimately about getting over an illness, getting through a period of, of illness, usually would probably scare people away. But it's such an affirming movie. And I think knowing the way that it ends already, if you know anything about the real life couple helps um, maintain that kind of sense of, of sweetness, but like believable sweetness, not sugar coated sort of candy sweetness. It's It's very... It's a it's a very like buyable movie. You you every step of the way you're like yes yes this all feels like real people and when real people are beautiful in this way, it does work because it's a true story because the movie otherwise I do think it's so convoluted you'd go oh that that is such a screenwriter invention yeah and yeah. and oh they're separated by a mysterious disease. I do think that movie is so rare and feels rare because it does work and sells you on this real life people stuff because they are real life people. This was a real thing that happened. So you get to put aside all of those things that you have in these movies, especially like you said, like I think romantic comedies because like there's whole tropes about meet cutes and the ways that you get people into relationships early so you can be invested. So then the movie can tell whatever story you want to tell. This this feels unrealistic, and the fact that it's not lets you put aside all those like trope watching stuff to the side, and lets you really embrace everything that's going on from a character standpoint, from a relationship standpoint, and that that is like invaluable and rare. Yeah, it's it's a it's a movie that I will definitely be watching years from now. It's a movie that like I can show to anybody. Anybody in my family would love it. Like it's it's uh, like you said, Aaron. It's the sort of movie that's charms ex- exceed the genre. Ex- it exceeds the you know the filmy people. Um, I just love it. Uh, Joseph, what's your number seven? My number seven is something a little more. Uh, pardon me. It is kind of the same in terms of a change in the kind of relationship you're expected to be, and that's going to be "Call Me by Your Name." which I think is a fantastic movie. Uh, I have enjoyed this director since uh, uh, I Am Love and uh, The Bigger Splash, and uh, he has Suspiria coming out next year. Oh, it's going to be good. Yes. But this movie, Army Hammer, so good. It is a movie that is about love and young relationships, and I don't know how to describe it without seeming kind of like this is all cheesy shit, but it is cheesy shit. <laughs> this is when you are a seventeen-year-old and you are falling in love with somebody. This is how you feel. And I, I love this movie. 
I will save my thoughts. Um, my number seven is a little number one movie of the year you may have heard of called Star Wars The Last Jedi. <laughs> um, second best Star Wars movie, I think, hands down for me after uh, Empire. Same ranking, Aaron. Second, se- second best. I think, if I'm being honest, it. I just have so much... I have 20 years, uh, 25 years investment into The Empire Strikes Back that it's hard for me to be objective, but... If I was just watching them all for the first time, I'll be. This would probably be my favorite. As somebody who has watched every movie in the Star Wars saga in the theater, it very well might be my second. It's it's one of those movies. Like Peter, you were right. Like this fucking movie made the the prequels worth watching. Yes. <laughs> like because oh now it's this tale of. These fucking idiots who ruined everything, which was always the joke about the prequels, right? Like that, oh, these people are bad at their jobs. And and why are we – these are supposed to be these all-powerful people? Like they're terrible at their jobs. They let all this stuff happen under their nose. And like in a two-minute scene, uh, Ryan Johnson's like, oh, how about if I say that's what's happened and somehow redeem that? Um, not – I mean those movies are still not fun to watch, so I probably won't watch them. But like – from a canon perspective and thinking of them as part of this timeline, like it makes it palpable in a way that it hasn't been. And it helps um, put them to bed in a way that like the fact that all these movies technically take place, you know, whatever, 50 years after the prequel. Yeah. The fact that, that that's true was kind of gross for a little bit. You're like, but no, oh, yeah. that's not really what, ha- that's not really Darth Vader as a little kid in a pod release. Yeah. Like, that's not really the, the story. And then when you actually watch, there's stuff like Last Jedi that can, that actually wrangles with and takes hold of its legacy then tries to make it fit. You're like, oh, this feels better. Oh, yeah, that makes sense why those idiots were hanging around watching this kid pot race. Yeah. They were terrible <laughs> at their jobs. It's like, cathartic. they were bad. Yeah, it is. And um, so even beyond that part, like, it is just exciting. It just moves. It's, I think it's the funniest Star Wars movie. And oh, there's yeah. some Star Wars movies that have some funny stuff. And also, like, it has the best directed scene of any Star Wars movie. And there's a lot of good direction in some of those Star Wars movies, which is the uh, throne room fight um, with the red backdrop. Like, it's just gorgeous. It has uh, – in a in – a, in a series that had Han Solo and Harrison Ford at it, like, his most awesome and, like – uh, pinnacle of coolness. It has, I think, the biggest, like, badass and cool scene of any Star Wars movie coming from fucking Mark Hamill, who is awesome, but is not as cool as Harrison Ford. But I don't give a shit what anyone says. That whole uh, final confrontation with him brushing his shirt or his dust off his shoulders sends chills down my spine. It is so satisfying. His um, moment of see you around, kid. Yeah. Is, it's beautiful. Like, that movie is so good it i'm gonna watch that a million times in the same way like i like force awakens i like um every uh, solo kind of sucked but i mean i've liked everything they've released i'm gonna watch them a lot it is not gonna be like the i cannot wait to watch it in the same way that the original trilogy was and like if you're not making a new star wars trilogy with this idea of giving people these movies that they want to rewatch constantly and relive all of these moments that just become a part of their lives, then why are you even doing a Star Wars trilogy? Right. And also it so. included uh, Laura Dern being the badass of 2017. Yeah. Oh, my God. That moment where you find out that Oscar Isaac is an idiot. And yeah. she got it. So like, then Laura Dern piloting the fucking ship in mm-hmm. that beautiful – like, 
if you needed the final button on why nerds are the worst, like, how could you see this movie and go, well, this isn't what I want from a Star Wars movie. <laughs> like, what did you want, you little assholes? Anyway. Um, Peter, you're number six? Number six, War of the Planet of the Apes. Great. Oh, that was interesting. Great, great movie. It's in my 20s. This is, uh, so this is uh, another sign that 2017 good. was an insanely good year for big budget yeah. action movies. And I can't imagine a universe... We talked about this, I think, briefly during the Conquest of the Planet of the Apes episode before I had seen War, even, um, where I can't even imagine a universe where we have such incredible adaptations of Planet of the Apes that understand the source material, that have such a, a, a set of actors associated with it that just give a shit about lending humanity to all of these creatures and all of these people. And the fact that it's it's gorgeous looking, like it looks like a real film and it's not there for the cheap thrills that you expect out of a movie of that budget size. It's there for real dramatic effort. And honestly, it feels like a studio mistake that these movies got made. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's the same thing with, with my number five, which I'll get to. It feels like a studio oversight. They're like, like they accidentally added an extra zero to the budget. I fucking well, and it's the it's the best of the like. I think it's the best of the three. I like Rise and I like Dawn, but like who is the third sequel or the second sequel to the third attempt at doing a movie version of the Planet of the Apes would be like probably the best one out of all of them. That's insane. Yeah, I I slightly prefer Dawn, but like they're so close that it's not even worth hemming and hawing over. They're they're beautiful films that capture what's ugly about humanity, what's beautiful about humanity, and they try and wrangle with the fact of whether or not we're worth saving. Joseph, you're number six. Speaking of uh, what is beautiful about humanity, my number six is Faces Places. Oh, obviously, Peter and I have nothing to add. Yeah. Um, wh- uh, who, whose faces are in those places? <laughs> this How is many Agnes places are we talking? This is Agnes Varda and JR, who are traveling around uh, uh, France and basically projecting faces onto basically uh, storefronts of the people that they are meeting in France. And it is a beautiful movie about... Going around and meeting essentially French people, but it's also Agnes and Jr. talking shit about who they know in France. That sounds so fun. Well, it does have one of the greatest moments of uh, Agnes Varda, who is one of the last surviving members of uh, French New Wave, talking shit about Godard. <laughs> well, that sounds. Well, Peter, sounds yeah, fun. you're gonna watch that tomorrow, yeah. isn't you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't hate Godard. I love a lot of his movies, but I, I think I love nothing. I don't love any of Godard's movies as much as I love teasing him. Because and oh boy, figure. does she! Oh <laughs> wow, he's, he's such a—he's—he's he's a genius, but also the biggest fucking dweeb on the planet. And for that reason, I got to see this movie. <laughs> for some reason, the movie just really affected me. It's a very great documentary about wandering around France and you know meeting people. Yeah, I've heard that, which is why I felt like it almost it. It is the one movie I kind of felt regret in not getting a chance to watch. I mean, I watched 119 other movies. Uh, <laughs> it just it was it just didn't quite make my time for it. I didn't, and uh, I knew that 
most people who had seen it had very fond things to say. So it'll definitely be something I watch in the near future. Uh, my number six is another uh, big budget sequel. Uh, and uh, it is a movie that uh, – so it's Blade Runner 2049. Hey, uh, Aaron, I'll skip ahead. My number five is Blade Runner 2049. You want to talk about it together? Yeah, let's talk about Blade Runner 2049. So here's here's what's funny about this movie. It's my like, number 33. Okay, so you don't get to talk about it is what you're saying. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, like, Dennis, you mentioned um, Ryan Johnson being one of, like, the best big-budget filmmakers. Obviously, I think Dennis – or De- is it Denny or Dennis? Uh, Denny Villeneuve. I think it's Denis Villeneuve. Okay. Uh, Denis Villeneuve. Uh, he's up there, too. Like, he just makes these amazing, uh, gorgeous movies. Uh, I haven't seen a movie of his I haven't liked, although I haven't seen Incendies or Prisoners. Um, but what's funny about this movie is that Blade Runner was a movie that whenever it was like that guilty thing of like, what's a movie everyone you fucking know loves and you don't? My answer was Blade Runner. It's a movie I really wanted to like and I respected visually, but just did not like when I saw it in college, I was just like, if I'm if I'm being honest, I think my reaction was this is kind of boring. Like I just wasn't that into it. I actually read the books, both the original book and like the two sequels, and loved those. And like before I saw the movie, and I just I don't know, something about it didn't connect with me at that time. So getting excited for this for uh, this, I mean, the trailers looked amazing. It just looked gorgeous. One of my favorite working directors was making it. Like, I went and rewatched Blade Runner right before I saw this movie. And I was like, oh, never mind. Blade Runner is awesome. It's a masterpiece. I love it. I don't know why I didn't connect to it when I was 19, but calling it boring was missing a lot of the points. So I was so primed going into this, and it did not disappoint. But it also was really exciting to almost see them back to back. Because I really felt like I was seeing Blade Runner for the first time and then following it up with, like, the perfect sequel from a visual perspective, the perfect sequel from a tonal perspective. Like, this movie's so fucking good. Yep. It's – let's just start real quickly. It is the most visually sumptuous movie I've seen in a very long time. Yeah. Uh, Definitely of the year. Every single frame is so textured and full and he knows how to command color in a way that, like – Yeah. I don't – I don't know if I've seen a sci-fi movie ever do that. The the way that every scene feels so so textured and full and, the, and there's so many different tones that he taps into and all the tones reflect on who the characters are and it's a movie that tells its it tells its emotional storytelling visually and yet has all these great big fun action sequences. I mean they're kind of depressing fun but uh has all these great big fun action sequences as well so kind of tapping back to um to what i was talking about um fucking uh alien covenant blade runner 2049 is obviously way more on a traditional level successful but uh it does give me that sort of alien covenant thing where i'm like okay i understand the basic themes you're working with here and you're going to give me a fun sort of action movie throughout here, laced in, you know, throughout. But also, you're going to give me these compelling human dramas. And 
a movie that you know is going to you know punch me when I least expect it with these emotional yeah. touches. And I don't know what the movie could have done to give me more of what I wanted. It gave me everything that yeah. I could have possibly wanted out of a bladed sequel to Blade Runner. I love <laughs> yeah. the cast. The fucking movie made me forget that I hate Jared Leto for two hours. Yeah, like, come on. It, it it made me forget that I hate movies that are two hours and forty five minutes long, and then I hate Jared Leto, and yeah. it still is number six on a Amazing Gear. So if that's that that's probably all I need to say. Like, hey, it's number six on my list as Jared Leto. It's a hundred and sixty five minutes. So you should probably watch it if you have. Yeah, I uh, and it's my number five. So I liked it slightly more than you, Joseph. What's your number five? My number five is Phantom Thread. Oh wow, that almost made my cut, but didn't this year. But it's 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 an impressive movie. This is a movie that I'm never quite sure how do I feel about this movie. It's it's really well constructed. It has possibly my favorite uh, Daniel Day Lewis performance, which is saying quite a lot. It's so subtle. It's he's not screaming. He's not yelling. He's but. It's not even Danny Lewis. It is uh, Vicky Creeps. Vicky Creeps is so good in this movie that I don't even know what to say about her. She is just constructing this character, and uh... yeah, she's she's. I mean, the movie's really good. Um, it's probably in the forties or fifties for me. Um, I wish I connected with like. Paul Thomas Anderson made four movies that are like four of my favorite movies of all time in a row from Boogie Nights to There Will Be Blood. And I feel like everything since then has been like a four star movie that I really respect and like, but it just doesn't doesn't hit me in the same way. And this this was disappointing in that. Like it's, it's Paul Thomas Anderson is such a good filmmaker that when he makes really, really good movies that I enjoy, I'm like, well, that was disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. But I think part of it is that my wife, who is a, a very much a fashion person who sells and buys fashion, that uh, she understood what was going on in this movie, and I think she helped me through it. How does she feel about the word chic? <laughs> Fuck chic. <laughs> it's it, I. I was completely with you on this one, Joseph. It is. It's. It feels like such. It's going to be this like mannered. It feels like it's going to be this sort of mannered proper movie where all of the dramatic notes are kind of like hidden between British proper sort of, uh, you know, British sort of um, pleasantries. But it's a movie that generally genuinely thumps like there are there are thumping dramatic moments. And what uh, the movie, I, I think what you started by saying you're not sure how you feel about the movie, not to project on you what it is but i think for a lot of people it's because paul thomas anderson refuses to pace his movies and uh structure them like anyone else so it feels almost stream of conscious where you're like i cannot predict what the fuck is going to happen because i don't know if this opening scene was you know just a little precursor to let us know the character or if this was telling us everything we need to know about the movie and so you you have to sort of detach yourself from like rational thinking for large chunks of it and sort of just engage with it emotionally. And I think that that makes the last turn in it um, so much more compelling as a a relationship drama. Anyways, uh, my number five is call me by your name. Uh, Nice. 
it is yeah i mean you guys said a lot about it. it is i don't i don't mean to um make it sound like it's some sort of like erasure to say like you know even beyond like obviously i am i'm a i'm a straight cis person like i related to this movie so much as like just being a uh, high school or you know young adult in love and not like knowing how that works and then also just feeling heartbroken when like life takes it away like there's there's a lot to relate to i think for everyone in this movie the performances are amazing it's gorgeous to look at it is a movie that i watched twice in close succession and i it's a movie i could throw in right now like it's just it's something that has stayed with me and anytime, like, I've had a couple coworkers that brought it up, and it's just one of those things, like, you get, you want to talk about this for the next hour? Because, you know, it, it just is a movie that connects with you in a very human way. And if you watch this movie and didn't add Psychedelic Furs to all of your playlists that you play on a regular basis, shame on you. Because even though I'd heard this song... Love my way many times. Like the way the best movies can do is like make these songs you've heard a million times go, oh, do I love this song? Maybe it's not just an oldie that I heard on the radio. Yeah, it feels um, fresh. It, you don't associate it with, uh, you know, the car, the song that you turned off before. You had to turn off with your uh, engine so you could pump gas, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a great movie. Peter, your number four. Brixby Bear. Oh! This was definitely the biggest surprise of the year. I had faith in, um, I, I don't know, pretty much every movie on this list. I guess maybe Blade Runner 2049 was it was a decent surprise, but I, I knew I was going to, it was a Dennis Villeneuve movie. I thought it was going to be at least visually sumptuous and have some cool shootouts or something. Um, Brixby Bear was the big surprise for me this year because Brixby Bear, um... It has the second best Mark Hamill performance, yes, but it does have this emergence of a comic voice and this wholesomeness, this sweetness that I really just needed in such a grim fucking year as 2017. Um, the, the movie rewards you for believing in the journey of a weirdo. The movie rewards you for not just being like, haha, this guy's a freak. And there are characters in the movie are like, this guy's fucking weird. Like, they recognize that he's fucking weird, but they're like, but it's kind of fun to go on this journey with him. And it's it's not a movie about this guy getting bullied. It's a movie about this guy, like, just, he's like, he's like my Roomba. Like, <laughs> you know, he, the Roomba just kind of sometimes just bumps into walls and he's like, oh, sorry. And just keeps going on the, on his journey just to keep doing what he's supposed to do. The, the main character, Brigsby Bear, is so determined and, and so charming in a way that's, it's just, it's contagious. And I, that's why it's so high on my list. Like, I was like, oh, wait, hold on. This is a movie I'm going to hold on to for a long time. I will save my thoughts. Um, All right. What's your number four? My number four is uh, The Sheep Water. Ah. ah, that's like number 17, I think, for me. Shape of Water for me is a movie that is about... Shit, I don't know how I describe this movie. It's oh, it's a, about a guy fucking a or a, a woman fucking a fish man. Pretty much, yes. <laughs> Sally Hawkins is probably one of the best performances of the year. Mm -hmm. I'd say, yeah, yeah. Everyone in that movie, like Michael Shannon, is. I still think we. I mean, we covered it on the show. Uh, the rare like movie in theaters that Peter and I went and saw, but there's. I still think about that uh, line that he says like to Michael Stuhlbarg, where he's like. 
Why were you speaking Russian, Bob? <laughs> yes. Yes. God. Stubarg is great. Uh, Michael Shannon is great. It's it's Jenkins just a really cool gr- revelation in it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a really great movie. I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to say about it. Yeah, I've got it as my number two, and I'll I'll uh, wax I will wax on that one a little bit later. Um, Aaron, what's your number four? My number four is The Florida Project. Ooh, oh, nice. Okay. Which, Peter, I think you hit on something when we talked about Briggsby Bear, and I will talk about it as well with Briggsby Bear later. But, like, there is something about, like, in the type of climate that we are living now, like, gravitating towards, like, the warmth of human beings in real life, but also in cinema. And so, like, the story of a, uh, like, a five or six year old girl who's kind of a latchkey kid, you know, especially for me, who has a daughter, like, who's not a latchkey kid, but, like, you you see how, like, how much, like, influence, you know, her mom, who's trying her best, like, in a bad situation, uh, and kind of, you know, this living in this cheap motel, she has a relationship with her daughter, it's not a relationship that society has deemed to be, like, the ideal or acceptable, but, like, she she's not, she's trying to make a living and be a 20-something-year-old uh, without much money and also like have a relationship with her daughter. And, and then of course, like Willem Dafoe as the manager of the hotel, who's sees them as human beings in the way that society, like when they're kicked out of the hotel or the restaurant for selling stuff, doesn't see them as they see them as like an annoyance and he sees them as human beings, but also like is trying to protect them in as much as like, our capitalism will allow him to while maintain his own job. And it is just this, it's this heartbreaking and heartwarming story of, of like what it's like to be a kid, that feeling of everything being adventure of not understanding why the adult world is stopping you from enjoying things. Like it is just a, it's both a warm embrace, but it's also a, stark reminder of the world that we all live in yeah i think that was that was wonderfully put and i hope that i can uh put it just as wonderfully in just a few moments um my number it's glad that we're both kind of stealing each other's thunder for yeah no no even though going i went first uh you guys kind of swooped me in my top three but there's something i can swoop you guys on um and it's get out Fuck you. <laughs> Get Out is my number three, uh, which must mean I really love one and two because Get Out is it's the exorcist of our times. It's one of those movies that just taps into a specific feeling that people have, a specific kind of terror that people have. It's 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 compelling. It's funny. It's 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 one of those movies that's not going to fade away the way some you know horror classics have it's a movie that people are going to continue to talk about as a reference point for for forever it broke through in the fucking oscars like yeah well, what the fuck yeah. is that about <laughs> blew up my oscar pool my oscar pool like none of us expected that and in a in a cynical way not in a in a deserved way it was clearly like that is uh, of all the oscar movies that is the one that that I think uh, deserved it, but it's, yeah, uh, it was weird rooting against Del Toro, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like it was like, oh man, any other year, buddy. Yeah, yeah. anything you would have made, I would have been happy about. But like, 
If I can get up, like I'll, I'll jump ahead and say it's my number three as well. Even I'm not trying to skip you, Joseph. It's uh, it's something. It's 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 it, it does everything that you need this movie to do. It's eminently gifable. The experience of seeing it in theaters <laughs> was so wonderful because the everybody in the theater, unlike oh, so I didn't see Hereditary in theaters because I heard a bunch of people had a uh, negative experience and people booing and throwing shit at the screen. And yeah, stuff. it was that and The Witch were two of my favorite movies from the last couple years. That like I wish I hadn't seen them in theaters because I was like getting angry at the audience throughout yes. as well. I, like, I'm really glad you didn't see Mother in theaters because I heard that was also I did. virulent. No, I saw Mother in theaters. Were people good? Were they good boys uh, and girls? Yeah, it was the perfect... It was the Because I think everyone doesn't know what the fuck's going on for so much of that movie. So, I uh, Get Out was unlike some experiences that people have had in theaters. Get Out was one where I saw it in theaters and I was like, I felt connected to my audience. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I felt like... We it felt like all, we were best friends. Yes. <laughs> going we through something. Together. We were laughing at the same beats. We were spooked at the same beats. We were, like, uh, chilled at the same beats. Uh, a couple people made jokes a couple times throughout, but not too many. And that was, like, the only time I've ever been in a theater where someone made a joke and I, like, laughed at it. Like, it was... It was such a great fucking experience, and I feel bad for Jordan Peele because this next movie is gonna uh, – it's got high expectations. He's, he's fucked. Well, um, well, and there's he's going to have to literally fly to the moon to make his next movie because I, <laughs> I don't know how he's going to do it. The best uh, the best moment watching it with – a because I saw it like one of the few opening weekends too. The best moment watching it was the – like the ending, right? Where the biggest, like, oh no, like people literally just saying, oh no, oh no, like freaking out is when the police car drives up, yeah, which is yeah. like the yeah. theme of the movie played out to the audience. Like yeah. it felt like, hey, Jordan Peele was going to make it feel like make it make white on audiences, uh, black audiences, any people of color feel what it's like to. A uh, person of color in a precarious situation when the police uh, pull up. Not, thank God the police are here like many of you may be used to, but intense and brutal panic and fear. And he made my entire audience feel that way in that moment. And like that was the – like it it felt like the themes of the movie is like rippling through the audience in this very like kinetic, palpable way. Uh, I'm Like I would have loved it just as much. If I hadn't seen it in theaters, but it is definitely a, a movie theater experience that I will cherish. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say about, like, now that we're getting into the top three, this was the hardest top three for me for any year we've ever done this. All three of my top three could be my number one movie. Typically, it's like I'm fighting for movies. What's going to be on the top ten? What's not? But, like, whatever is number one is fucking number one. Like, Pete's Dragon. Mad Max Fury Road, Under the Skin, like some other ones that I've named in previous years, even before we started doing this podcast, it was like, I know number one, not a problem. I slaved over, fuck, what is my number (laughs) one movie? Because all three of these had been number one movies. They would go back and forth. I just, this was a tough year. And the fact that Get Out is number three, honestly, with the exception of like Mad Max, I think, I love Pete's Dragon. It would have been number one in 2016. It would have probably been my number one movie in 2014. It probably would have been my number one movie in 2013. Like, it just speaks to how high the quality uh, of these movies uh, this year are. So, yes. so uh, Joseph, let's go three? back. What's your number three? My number three is uh, Lady Bird. 
Yes, Lady Bird. Lady Bird is a movie that I, um, she is a director who is about four years younger than I am, but she understands. I don't think Greta Gerwig is 67. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Shut up, Aaron. (laughs) She is a little bit younger than I am, but she understands a difference between I I went to high school in a all guys high school. It was all guys at the time. Loyola Academy in Walmart, Illinois. And she understands the difference between an all guys high school and an all girls school. And that is one thing that she really nailed in this movie and I really felt like okay, you understand what's going on here. Yeah, as someone who went to a Catholic, I went to a Catholic, it was co-ed. Uh it was co-ed for the past like 30 40 years uh sorry i thought i thought i was maybe interrupting you and you were cutting out um i uh, it was maybe co-ed for the past like 30 40 years before i was there and then it was it was uh it was also divided um she nailed so much of what it's like to go to catholic school and how it feels yeah. to wear that uniform and how it feels to try and engage with your peers but also like you're you're dealing with like a serious history like there's a serious sense of um a serious sense of like you're here for a reason especially if your parents had to struggle to to pay for your particular you know tuition like there's a there's so much about ladybird that's that was relatable for me and i well, like we were talking about earlier, my parents were, you know, not the most, uh, you know, economically advantaged people in the world. So when they were sending us to a Catholic school, it was like, okay, we have to send you to a school that. Yeah, it's uh, it's an inter- it's an interesting thing that she nails just like that whole dynamic, despite the fact that like. It's Sacramento. It's not the Midwest, because um, we went to we went to uh, Catholic school in the uh, in the, you you in more Chicago proper. I guess Wilmette is basically like as close as you can get without being in it. And then uh, I, mine was out in the suburbs. Um, but it's that she nailed that sort of that sort of feeling was so so palpable for me and that's why it also made my top 10 was just like I, I identified with who she was and what kind of upbringing she had and all that it was it was great yeah peter down to the wire your number two movie of the year Number two, Shape of Water. Fuck you guys. Shape of Water is... Uh, <laughs> Fuck yeah. Shape of Water is a movie about how important it is to love people no matter what their 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 color is, what their shape is. What the, as long as they're a person, you should give them a reasonable chance for love. And it came at such an important time like 2017 like we talked about with get out i think briefly 2017 was a, is a brutal time to uh, be alive outside of a theater <laughs> but inside a theater is pretty good shape of water just really nailed that for me it made me feel hopeful for the future and it made me feel like if all of us you know the others the freaks and the people that you know could be you know, you wouldn't probably not be bullied by the powers that be if all of us stand together. 
we can really stand up to the fucking fascists and really put, give them a push back. And it was, it was just the movie I needed at just the right time. It's a beautiful movie. It also, as someone who's a longtime Del Toro fan, it was kind of nice to have him back in. He's one of my favorite directors. It's kind of nice to have him back in the graces of everyone. So everyone could see what, you know, I, I'd always seen in him. Um, yeah. Maybe now I can make at the mountains of madness or Hellboy three. Damn, that would be so cool. What they he needs that he needs that War of the Planet of the Apes money or that Blade Runner twenty forty nine money where you're just like there's like uh yeah of course of course just uh, take this extra zero and uh, yeah go ahead. Uh, Joseph, number two. your number two. Oh, my number two is your name. Hey, guess what? That's my number two as well. Yep, <laughs> your name is a beautiful movie that is about. Is it about love? Is it about Anime, I'm not quite sure what the hell it's actually about, but it's it's such a wonderful movie. It is probably one of the best movies about teenage love that has yeah. been done. Yeah, it's uh I'm I'm really surprised you're number two. I'm glad that's the case. Um it just it feels like a movie that a lot of people went, this is great, but it was on I mean so Get Out was my number one for a long time. And then I saw this in like June of twenty seventeen. And it stayed number one for a very long time on my list as well. Um, one thing about all three of the movies on my top three this year are they're movies that I've seen eight or nine, ten times because I was just ev- evangelical about all three of them. Where anytime people were like, "What movie should I watch?" I was I was recommending one of these three. And your name, I saw it on a plane because uh, it was very hard to get for a while, and I was like, "Oh fuck, they got your name! I'm gonna watch it." And I was just. At multiple points in this movie, just breaking down in tears. And if you've ever tried to hide, like, gross crying on a plane while you're watching this, like, I'm sure to most people, like, this uh, Japanese animated movie, I'm sure people are like, let him deboard as quickly as possible. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But, but, it, it, but it's, it's not the crying of, like, you know, someone said recently, and this really goes for uh, what I'll talk about my number one movie as well. Someone said recently that, like, I don't cry at movies anymore or I don't cry anymore when I'm sad. I cry when I feel like hope or joy or touched by the human spirit or see people uh, have happiness in their lives. Like I'm, I cry because of empathy now uh, and, and a joyful type of empathy. And this yeah. movie is like that. Like besides it being super twisty and it basically like gives away its secret halfway through and then still has a ton of amazing stuff it wants to go through like it, it has this whole trope that you think is going to be the whole movie and then it stops it and then you're like holy shit and now they're doing this other movie i've shown it to so many people i always get the oh, okay <laughs> sure and everyone i've shown it to is like that was a that was a good movie like they're really excited and it's just i just love it so much it's just this warm hug and like the ending just will reduce me to a puddle But it's like a puddle of, like, I'm just so happy at the end of this movie. I am welled up with so much emotion. It happens every time I see it. It is. It's so good. Gotcha. I haven't seen it because I don't watch um, fake dumb movies uh, that are animated. Um, No, I'm just kidding. I I, I like anime. I just didn't prioritize it. Um, Well, clearly you should. beautiful and life-affirming, and I have no shame about having not seen it yet. I'll get to it, okay, guys? All right, here we go, guys. We're here. 
after 27 hours of discussion. <laughs> yeah, we were here um, the same, uh, yeah. same, you know, the same length of time that that uh, biker was before he chopped off his arm. Uh, you know, I'm not, su- I'm not surprised because we're all three passionate about movies. And yep. it's like, oh, do you want to talk about your favorite movies for, yeah, of course it's going to yeah. go on. So, and so Peter. If you, at, at this point is when you should be chopping off your arm that's holding your, uh, your phone that's playing the podcast on it. Yes. Peter. My number one what is, is Florida Project. Florida Project. Yes. So you talk- Oh, interesting. So, Aaron, you briefly talked about how uh, these could be in any order. That, just, you know, throw that in there. You also briefly talked about how this movie uh, views things through uh, a childlike self at times. That's one reason that it's so beautiful and compelling is that it isn't necessarily some miserablest drama about being poor and having no prospects. It's it's a movie that recognizes time and time again the limitations that these people are under and the fact that they have like almost nothing like almost no sense of future because of just there's, there's no economic opportunity for them. And the realness of that is balanced by yes, young, young people trying to scratch out some fun despite that. And try and make their way in the world despite that. And it doesn't negate the first part. It doesn't make the first part disappear just because you're having a little bit of fun. And you might actually, you know, make a little bit of money off of the the scam you have pulled or uh, whatever. It genuinely wants you to understand what it's like to be poor in America with no prospects. And why it is so incredibly difficult for people in that position to raise themselves up. Yep. Yes. So it works as a social film, but also just works as an immense film of, uh, as, as Roger Ebert called it, the, you know, the empathy machine. It works as a film where you're just like, I care so much about this little girl's happiness that I feel like she's my daughter or something. Like, yeah, I, I want her. She deserves everything. Her mom even deserves everything. Like it just cause she's an adult doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve to be happy. There's so much charm and so much love put into this. And on the other side of things, it's not just about the mom and her daughter. Willem Dafoe is perfectly suited as this guy who just like has a just a little bit of privilege, a, just a little bit of power. And he's struggling to apply even that little bit of power in his everyday life. And that is so beautiful and so real it's like it's, it's what life is life is about taking that small bit of power you have if you have a small bit of power and applying it to try and make the lives of people around you better and it's i i yeah it is a movie that made me weep and yep. it is a movie that i will think about for years and years and the only reason i put it off is because i was like oh shit this movie's gonna make me cry and yes it made me cry <laughs> i should have dove in earlier it's fine it's the same reason I haven't seen your name. The Florida Project is is a uh, one of those movies that doesn't come along very often. It also like one thing just to add on to what I said previously in, in your statement. Like it also has something that I don't think is talked about enough, which is like kids just want to be kids. Like that kid doesn't understand her economic situation. She just wants to go out in the world, have fun, be entertained, spend time with her mom spend time with her friends and like the world is trying to stop her for the most part at every turn. And like, we, we just don't, our, our country doesn't serve 
not just the adults in those situations, but the children who are like just trying to figure out who they are over the next X amount of years. That's amazing. Yeah, that's my number one. Joseph, what was your number one? My number one is of 2017 is Get Out. Good movie. Yep. That's all right. It's it's it is kind of about a lot of race issues in America, but it's also about it's about how we contend with our history in general. It's about and also it's about leaving privilege. places. What? It's about leaving places. Yeah. Yeah. Get out. Get out. Get out of there. And I mean, it is Jordan Peele, the first person, the apartment, the first African American to win a uh, to win a screenplay award. Which is kind of amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that this was nominated for eight Academy Award, including Best Picture and Best Director. Which it should, it should have won both of those. It was great that fucking Jordan Peele is an Academy Award winner. It's amazing that this movie was up for awards. But, like, it's amazing because normally this movies that are this um, sh- uh, shockingly time appropriate don't get recognized. Like, pe- right. the Academy loves looking back 40 years ago and going... And that was Vietnam. They rarely go, hey, guys, uh, America's super racist right now. Like, right this second. Let's talk about it. Let alone the whole genre. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's it, it felt almost too aware for the Oscars. I'm sure... And, you know, I'm sure in February they're going to go ahead and nominate some other bullshit. Hillary's America. They can bounce back. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Uh, my number one... Uh, which now I'm mad I told Peter that he needed to watch it because he stole my thunder on it. And this was a tough, like, I really was like, what is my favorite movie this year? And it came down to what do I want to watch all the time? Like, I want, in the same way that when I go to bed, I like a blanket over me because it's warm and it makes me comfortable. Even if it's a little too hot for a blanket, it just, it feels soothing to have a blanket on top of me. I'm not one of those people that can sleep blanketless. I don't know exactly boy. where th- I'm a blanket boy. I'm not quite sure where that analogy was going, but in the same way that like <laughs> I want to watch Brigsby Bear all the time because it is a warm blanket of this movie. Brandon Lede said it best. We're like the next place that he hopes alternate comedy goes because this movie is stacked with Lonely Island and fucking Kyle Mooney, who does some of the weirdest stuff on Saturday Night Live. And before that as well, this is like movie is stacked with like alt, even like um, not Jim Gaffigan. Who's the dad who was on Upright Citizens Brigade? It's funny. The last time we talked oh, about Matt Upright Citizens Brigade, he was the person we couldn't name either. And I forgot. Yeah, but like, this is like, this is like filled with like alt comedy people and Instead of going to that, like, Tim and Eric bizarreness, which is where I thought it was going to go before I saw the movie, based on the trailers or even the first few minutes, it goes to, like, aching sincerity uh, while still being funny. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's a movie about trauma. And it's about, like, how we don't – even people with the best intentions, from the, the counselor in this movie to the parents, like – the one problem our society has when it comes to empathy and everything else is like we don't listen. All even people that are are empathetic and want to do what's best and want to help people, a lot of times we are saying, "Here's what I think is best for this person." And what we don't always do is listen. And this is a movie about 
even the well-intentioned need to shut the fuck up and listen to what the people you're trying to help are saying. And this is a movie about how, in this case, it's about making a fucking weird Brigsby Bear movie based on this fake TV show that a dad who kidnapped a child made in this television studio for 30 years. But that's what he needed to move on with his life and to get better and to adapt. And it's not till everyone starts listening to him and hearing what that person is saying that he's able to not forget it, not erase it. And that's the other thing I really like about this movie. Like when he goes and visits his dad in, in jail, asks him to record some stuff for the movie. Like it's not like overcoming trauma means, oh, I don't I, for, I don't care about this anymore. It's not a part of my life. But it is about overcoming it to the sense that I'm moving on into something new. I'm moving past this moment. Um, and I'm taking those moments that hurt me with me, but I'm going to be able to move on. And that's what this movie's about. And it does it in a very funny, heartwarming uh, way with some amazing actors and some amazing little moments. And still enough oddness from that alt-comedy stuff that, like, there is a lot of, like, funny and visually interesting moments. And Kyle Mooney is um, kind of this uh, amazing actor for this, like achingly sincere performance because that's what he's really good at portraying on Saturday Night Live and some of his internet videos. But yeah, it's just like, you know, when it came down to it, like, this was the movie I needed in 2017. This was the movie I need in 2018. This is the movie that I hope they keep making more and more uh, type of movies where it is just about the human condition and empathy and hearing what a fellow human being is saying as to what they need to live a life uh, not free of burden, but with a reduced burden. I think I think that's beautifully put, Aaron. I think that there's a there's a, a really openness to the movie. It's not judgmental. It's not cruel, but it does recognize the limitations of of some of these you know people like our protagonist. It's uh, in that way, it feels even more life-affirming because it doesn't feel like some pure fantasy um, about a weird guy who gets everybody to like him. It yeah. It's a lot deeper than that because it feels like he's he's pinging off of the walls of reality. And it's amazing. Like, this movie is a house of cards, and I feel like I've used that before, but it is a, like, one moment of cynicism or people rolling their eyes at uh, Kyle Mooney's character would have would have pulled the rug out from it. Like, it would have been like, oh, fuck you, movie. You you want me to care about – like, you're already setting up kind of a fantastical situation. You want me to care about this person's trauma and you want me to, to, to care about – like, this would have been so easy to put a tiny little pinprick and let all the air out of the movie. And the creators and the makers knew that, like, no, those would be super easy jokes to make. But that's not – respecting the character it's not respecting his journey it's not respecting the journey of everyone around him um there is nothing more hopeful for the type of world we're living in is that and when you see all these people in the community who pitched in in their way to like lift this person up and it's like how can you not leave the theater and go i need more of that in my life <laughs> in real life and i need it more in the movies like it's uh, it's just a stones the sounds. It is a celebration of the best of humanity. Yeah, I think that's beautifully put, Aaron. Um, um, so thank you so much again for joining us, Joseph. Three years in a row. We can't wait to make it four. 
And hopefully we have you back on bef- before uh, the end of 2018 recap. <laughs> Just wait till next year where I come, where I come up with something really surprising. Okay, great. You already got something <laughs> cooking, I see. Um, so, uh, yeah, so thank you so much for joining us. Uh, crazily enough, even though, as I mentioned, we're recording in August, uh, we next week... <laughs> We have planned ahead enough to, I can't tell you exactly what's coming next week, but I can tell you one of four things, because next month, January, is Dark Fantasy Month, Roman numeral two. That's what we're going to call it, because it's Dark Fantasy, Roman numeral two. Um, And we are doing one of the following four movies. Oh, good one. His darker materials of fantasy movies. <laughs> we, we, but we're doing, uh, we don't know what guess, but uh, we'll, next week you're going to get one of the following four movies. You're going to either get Excalibur, Time Bandits, uh, The Company of Wolves, <laughs> or. So what the fuck? What's the fourth? I had it. Uh, oh, Return to Oz. Yes, Return to Oz. Oh, so, shit. <laughs> Very excited for this month, which we will do five months from now. But that is what we're doing. So thank you so much, Joseph. And we'll thank see you. you at the movies next year, too. Yeah. Every year. <laughs> you said, send me stationery to make me horny. So I always write your letters in multicolors, decorating envelopes. For four damn extended metaphors. I can get carried away on the back of a natural disaster. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch, or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment, tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, 
Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.